Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the glow of St. Paul's number one, welcome to another edition of Cabin Country. Give us the time and we'll take you out of the traffic and away from the levee. Let's find the place where the loons call out among the moonlit waves, where the wind sighs among the Norway pines. Pull up a dock chair, have a sip of your coffee, and get a line in the water. This is Cabin Country. Now here's Bjorn Lloydstead, and I'm Fudd Klugman with another Woodland Escape. An entertaining football game for all those in attendance, with the Rangers losing to the Warriors 21-7. A reminder that the Cuyuna Range Autumn Color Ride will be taking place on Saturday and Sunday next weekend. Friday night's spaghetti dinner will be hosted by the Chamber of Commerce, and music at the beer and coffee tent will be provided by the Rusty Chains, Tallwoods TNT, and the North Country Folk School. Noise complaints can be directed at the local police department, who will kindly ask you to relax and enjoy the music at this once-a-year autumnal celebration. This hour's news is sponsored by the Radical Raven Coffee and Winery. Next time your pantry calls for a few pounds of gourmet roasted coffee or the cellar requires a few bottles of top-shelf Pinot Noir, make the Radical Raven your first stop. Weather this hour across the North Country. A slight atmospheric disturbance of unknown origin has brought with it a system of relatively low pressure across Lake Superior, causing winds of light gale force. A small craft advisory is in place for the Duluth area and coastal cities to the north. A seasonable warm front is in place across the Brainerd Lakes area as far north as the Arrowhead with much cooler temps in the evening. Current temperature is 63. Low temps tonight coming in at around 32. A frost warning is in effect for tonight and tomorrow night as well. We take you now to our Sunday night evening of fun lineup with Lloyd Benson and the gang broadcasting from the downstairs party room, the Cracklin' Jack Pines. Music tonight is provided by Paulie B. and the Blue Ox Orchestra. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Sunday evening's entertainment from the ballroom at Cracklin' Jack Pines Steakhouse. Tonight we are pleased to bring you the music of Mr. Polly B. and the Blue Ox Orchestra. With a touch of the swing era, Polly leads off with the Hip Cat Swagger.
Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the CCN Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor H. Anderson of the National Satellite Observation Network, Brainerd Branch, reports observing several eruptions of either gas or water occurring at regular intervals across several bodies of water in the upper Midwest. The satellite network indicates that no income meteorites are in the area and thus are not responsible for what appears to be a regional event happening in rivers and lakes across a roughly 500-mile swath of the United States. Subcommander Husqvarna of the DNR in St. Paul, Minnesota, confirms Anderson's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a series of geyser-like eruptions in excess of 50 feet high across the upper Midwest, unquote. We now return you to the music of the Blue Ox Orchestra, playing for you in the downstairs ballroom of the Cracklin' Jack Pines, situated in the heart of the Brainerd Lakes area. Now a tune that never loses favor, the ever-popular Feel the Heat, Polly B. and his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Hydrological Bureau has requested the lake and river denizens and hydrological experts of the upper Midwest to keep a constant watch on any further disturbances occurring on local waters. Due to the unusual nature of this occurrence, we have arranged an interview with the DNR's resident limnology expert, Professor Herb Anderson, who will give us his views on the event. In a few moments, we will take you to the Anderson interview at the DNR headquarters at Brainerd, Minnesota. We return you until then to the music of Paulie B. and his orchestra. We are now ready to take you to the DNR Regional Headquarters in Brainerd, where Paul Crillips, our commentator, will interview Professor Herb Anderson, famous limnologist. We take you now to Brainerd, Minnesota. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Paul Crillips speaking to you from the central offices at DNR Headquarters in Brainerd. I'm standing in a large semicircular room, relatively dimly lit, except for the light coming off of multiple desktop computer screens. Across the room on multiple screens, I can see the spouting of what appears to be geysers on cameras around the nation. The quiet humming sound you hear is the low-grade hum of the server. Professor Anderson stands directly in front of me on a small platform, gazing across the wall of screens. I ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during any delay that may arise during our interview. Besides his ceaseless watch of the waters, Professor Anderson may be interrupted by cell phone or other communications. During this period, is in constant touch with the hydrological and limnological centers of the country. Professor, may I begin our questions? At any time, Mr. Crillips. Professor, would you please tell our radio audience exactly what you see as you observe the lakes and rivers of the upper Midwest as you watch these multiple screens? Uh, nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Crillips. Carpet of night sky stars as they reflect in the blue waters. Some of the waters are reflecting dark gray as the cloud deck is blocking the stars quite distinct now because our satellites are picking up such crystal clear imagery. Those in low-level geosynchronous orbit, as we refer to it. 
In your opinion, what do these geyser-like eruptions signify, Professor Anderson? Not a meteor swarm or meteorites, I can assure you, Mr. Krillips, although that's the popular conjecture of those who were first to see these satellite images. From a scientific viewpoint, these eruptions are probably the result of some type of gas released by decomposition of materials on the river and lake bottoms. Then you're quite convinced, as a scientist, that these water eruptions are not supernatural or paranormal. I'd say the chances against it are a thousand to one. And yet, how do you account for those water eruptions occurring on the surface of the lakes and the rivers at regular intervals? That, Mr. Krillips, I cannot account for. By the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners, is there anything living in the lakes and rivers or the upper Midwest that could actually cause worry for the lakefront homeowner or cabin owner? Nothing larger than a state record muscalunge. Well, that seems a safe enough answer. Thank you. Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Someone has just handed Professor Anderson a message. While he reads it, let me remind you that we are speaking to you from the DNR headquarters in Brainerd, Minnesota, where we are interviewing the world-famous limnologist Professor Anderson. One moment, please. Professor Anderson has passed me a message which he has just received. Professor, may I read the message to the listening audience? Uh, certainly, Mr. Krillips. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you a wire addressed to Professor Anderson from Dr. Bray of the National Science Academy, Chicago, 9.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. Localized wave meters across several lakes registered waves of almost gale force intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Pillager. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Bray, Chief of Limnological Division. Professor Anderson, could this occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the waters across the upper Midwest? Uh, hardly, Mr. Krillips. This is probably a meteorite shower of unusual scope, and its arrival at this particular time is a mere coincidence. However, we will conduct a shoreline search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, for the past ten minutes, we've been speaking to you from the DNR headquarters at Brainerd, bringing you a special interview with Professor Anderson, noted limnologist. This is Paul Krillips speaking. We are returning you now to our Duluth studios. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News, Toronto, Canada. Professor Morse at McGill University reports observing a total of 53 water eruptions in southern Ontario between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from the American satellite bases. Now nearer home comes a special announcement from Baxter, Minnesota. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m., a huge shadowy object, believed to be a live, giant-sized lake creature, crawled forth from the Gull Lake waters in the neighborhood of Baxter Pillager, Minnesota, roughly 10 miles from Brainerd. The movements on Gull Lake were visible on several orbiting satellites, and the noise of the departure from the water was heard on the beachfronts of several lake resorts and Gull River cabins. We have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene, and will have our commentator, Paul Krillips, give you a word description as soon as he can reach there from Brainerd. In the meantime... We take you to the Blue Heron in Ossipee Corners, where Babs Millette and her orchestra are offering a program of dance music. We take you now to Baxter, Minnesota. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul Krillips again at the Williams Lake Cabin, Baxter, Minnesota. Professor Anderson and myself made the 11 miles from Brainerd in 10 minutes. Well, I, I hardly know where to begin to, to paint for you a word picture of the strange scene before my eyes. 
like something out of a modern call of the wild. I haven't had a chance to look around yet. I guess that's it. Yes, I guess that's the trail directly in front of me, half covered with downed oak and aspen leaves. Must have dug with terrific force. The ground is covered with splinters of a tree it must have knocked down on its way into the woods. What I can see of the object itself doesn't look very much like a creature, at least not the fish or muskrats I've seen. It looks more like a huge shadow. It has the length of... What would you say, Professor Anderson? What's that? What would you say was the length of this monster? About 30 feet. About 30 feet. That's the size of this beast. Well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of green, greenish-brown all over. Curious spectators now are pressing close to the thing in spite of the efforts of the police and DNR agents to keep them back. They're getting in front of my line of vision. Would you mind standing to one side, please? One side there, one side. Hey, move. <clears throat> While the policemen are pushing the crowd back, here's Mr. Williams, owner of the cabin and adjoining woods here. He may have some interesting facts to add. Mr. Williams, would you please tell the radio audience as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped in your backyard? Uh, step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Williams. Well, I was having a bump and listening to the radio. Uh, a closer, louder, and please. Pardon me? Clo- closer and louder, please. Yes, sir. Well, I was listening to the radio and kind of drowsing. That professor fellow was talking about the troubles with the local lakes. So I was half dozing, half... Uh... Uh, yes, yes, Mr. Williams. Then what happened? As I was saying... I was listening to the radio, kind of halfways. Yes, Mr. Williams, and then you saw something. Not first off. I heard something. And what did you hear? It was a dragging sound, like this. <laughs> kind of like someone pulling an overloaded trash can. Then what? I turned my head out the window and would have sworn I was asleep and dreaming. Yes? I seen a kind of greenish shape or shadow, and then whammo, something thunked the ground. Knocked me clear out of my chair. Well, were you frightened, Mr. Williams? Well, I ain't quite sure. I reckon I was kind of riled. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Thank you. You want me to, you want me to tell you any more? No, no, you... that's, that's quite all right. That's plenty. Thank all you. Right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Mr. Williams, owner of the lake place where this thing has caused a commotion. I wish I could convey the atmosphere, the, the background of this fantastic scene. Dozens of cars are parked in a field in back of us. Police are trying to rope off the roadway leading to the lakefront, but it's it's of no use. They're breaking right through. The car's headlights throw an enormous spot on the sort of cavern where the, the thing is half buried. Some of the more daring souls are now venturing near the edge. Their silhouettes stand out against the piles of earth. One man wants to touch the thing. He, he's having an argument with a policeman. The policeman wins. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement. But now it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your radio. Listen. Do you hear it? it it's, a, it's a curious gurgling sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll move the microphone near. Now we're not more than 25 feet away. Can you hear it now? Oh, Professor Anderson. Yes, Mr. Phillips. Can you tell us the meaning of that gurgling noise inside the thing? Possibly some digestion issues inside the creature. I see. Do you have any idea what this is, Professor? I don't know what to think. Creatures from fresh bodies of water do not get to be this size, and they certainly don't leave the water. This is surreal. Waterborne creatures that aren't mammals can't breathe out of the water, and lakeside mammals never grow to this size. This thing is massive, and as you can see, it appears to be some kind of mutated fish. Just a minute. Something's happening, ladies and gentlemen. This is terrific. 
The head of the thing is beginning to rise up. The jaws are beginning to open and close. Look at those teeth. The thing is a, a giant dogfish. She's moving. Look at that. Darn thing's coming out of the pit. It's going to swallow someone. Oh, it's, it's a giant predator that can breathe out of the water. Keep back there. Keep those idiots back. Stay away from those teeth. The monster's rising up. Look out there. Stand back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever witnessed. Wait a minute. Someone's crawling out of the hollow top or, or someone or, or something. I can see peering out of the black hole two luminous disks. Are they eyes? It might be a face. Good heaven, something's wriggling out of the shadow like an elephantine fish giant. I'm seeing massive fins. Yes, yes, eyes, teeth. They look like uh, huge green daggers to me. There I, I can see the thing's body. It's large as a whale, and it glistens with scales that look like armor. But but the the face, ladies and gentlemen, it's it's, it's indescribable. I, I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. The eyes are huge and, and, and gleam like a serpent. The mouth is massive with teeth snapping inside its rimless lips. The monster, or whatever it is, can hardly move. It, it seems weighed down by possibly gravity or something. The thing's raising up. The crowd falls back now. They've, they've seen plenty. This is the most extraordinary experience. I, I can't find the words. I'll, I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. I'll, I'll have to stop the description until I can take a new position. Hold on, will you please? I'll be right back in a minute. We are bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Williams Lake property, Baxter, Minnesota. We now return you to Paul Crillips at the Gull River and Gull Lake area. Ladies and gentlemen, am I on? Ladies and gentlemen, here I am back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Williams' garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. More outdoors agents have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit, about 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain is conferring with someone. We can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Anderson. Yes, it is. And uh, now they've parted. The professor moves around one side, studying the object, while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I, I can see it now. It's the body of a huge Asian carp tied to a, a pole, an offering of food. If, if, if that creature knows what, what that means, what anything means, wait, uh, something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I, I can make out moonlight against large dark scales and and what look to be teeth. What's, uh, what's that? There's a, there's a massive dark shape moving too quickly for its size, and it leaps right at the advancing men. It, it, it strikes them head on. Good Lord, they're, they're disappearing into the maw. Now the whole crowd is in danger. The, the woods, the, the, the cabins, the giant tail is, is slashing through the trees. It's, it, it's spreading everywhere. It's coming this way, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Gull Lake. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Limnological Society, expressed the opinion that the eruptions on bodies of Midwestern water are undoubtedly nothing more than severe lake bed and riverbed disturbances at the lowest point of each body of water. We now continue with our piano interlude.
Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been handed a message that came in from Pillager by telephone. Just one moment, please. At least 40 people, including six state troopers and two outdoors agents, lie dazed or wounded in the woods east of the village of Pillager, their bodies bitten and flattened beyond all possible recognition. The next voice you hear will be that of Brigadier General Harry Foster, commander of the state militia on the move near Randall, Minnesota. I have been requested by the governor of Minnesota to place the counties of Morrison and Crow Wing as far west as Little Falls and east to Aiken under martial law. No one will be permitted to enter this area except by special pass issued by state or military authorities. Four companies of state militia are proceeding from the Randall area to Pillager and will aid in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Thank you. You have just been listening to General Harry Foster commanding the state militia somewhere near Randall. In the meantime, further details of the catastrophe at Gull Lake are coming in. The strange creature, after unleashing its deadly assault, crawled back into the lake and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the emergency responders to recover the bodies. Combined fire and emergency response departments of Crow Wing County are trying to decide how next to proceed with this leviathan which undoubtedly menaces the entire countryside. We have been unable to establish any contact with our mobile unit at Pillager, but we hope to be able to return you there at the earliest possible moment. In the meantime, we take you... Just one moment, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been informed that we have finally established communication with an eyewitness of the tragedy. Professor Anderson has been located at a lake place near the Gull Lake and the Gull River where he's established an emergency observation post. As a scientist, he will give you his explanation of the calamity. The next voice you hear will be that of Professor Anderson, brought to you by Direct Wire. Professor Anderson. Of the creatures apparently mutating in the lakes and rivers of the Upper Midwest, I can give you no authoritative information, either as to their nature, their origin, or their purposes here on Earth. Of their destructive size and might, I might venture some conjectural explanation. For want of a better term, I shall refer to this situation as an environmental anomaly. It's all too evident that these giant rough fish are able to maneuver out of the water and continue to survive by somehow maintaining a storehouse of oxygen inside their massive systems. They are then able to move around on dry land for periods of time not unlike the snakehead fish or the amphibious mudskippers or hellbenders. Uh, that is my conjecture of the origin of the situation. Thank you, Professor Anderson. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a bulletin from Baxter. It is a brief statement informing us that the chomp body of Paul Crillips has been identified in a Crow Wing County hospital. Now here's another bulletin from Washington, D.C. Office of the Director of the National Red Cross reports 10 units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the headquarters of the state militia outside Randall, Minnesota. Here's a bulletin from State Police Brainerd, Minnesota. The destruction in Gull Lake and the Gull River area are now under control. Scouts report all quiet in the woods and no signs of life appearing from the mouth of the trench. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special statement from Mr. Harry McDonald, Vice President in Charge of Operations. We have received a request from the militia at Randall to place at their disposal our entire broadcasting facilities. In view of the gravity of this situation, and believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the state militia at Randall, Minnesota. We take you now to the field headquarters of the state militia near Baxter, Minnesota. This is Captain Lansing of the Signal Corps, attached to the state militia, now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of the Gull River area. Situation arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. 
The giant bullfin, which created a huge pit directly below our position and then retreated to Gull Lake, is now surrounded on all sides by two-thirds of a battalion of infantry and a flotilla of locals armed with weaponry, without heavy field pieces but adequately armed with rifles, massive heavily baited treble hooks on chains and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if such cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. The thing or things, whatever they are, do not even venture to poke their heads above the water. They can see their shadows under the water plainly in the glare of the searchlights here. With all the reported strength, these creatures can scarcely stand up against the heavy machine gun fire. Anyway, it's an interesting outing for the troops. I can make out their khaki uniforms crossing back and forth in front of the lights. It looks almost like a real war. There appears to be some slight smoke in the woods bordering the distant Gull River. Probably fires started by campers. Well, we ought to see some action soon. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. A quick thrust and it will all be over. Now, wait a minute. I see something above the waves on the Gull. No, it's nothing but a shadow. Now the troops are on the edge of the railroad bridge over the river. Seven hundred armed men closing in on something they can't see, but can wipe out with mortar rounds. Wait, that wasn't a shadow, it's something moving. Massives. Scales and teeth, kind of a fish-like affair rising up out of the shallows. It's going higher and, and higher. Why, it's, it's leaping out of the river. Actually arching up like some sort of massive acrobat. Now it's reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who are swimming in the crow-wing waters tonight are the vanguard of an invading mutant fish army from the muddy depths. The battle which took place tonight near Baxter Pillager has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 700 men armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting giant dogfish land invader. 120 known survivors. The rest thrown over the battlefield from Baxter to Brainerd, crushed and trampled to death under the massive fins of the monster, or chewed to shreds by its giant green teeth. The monster is now in control of the middle section of Crow Wing County and has effectively cut the state through its center. Communication lines are down from Brainerd to the Superior Shore. Railroad tracks are torn and service from St. Paul to St. Cloud discontinued except routing some of the trains through Becker and Monticello. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control their mad flight. By morning, the fugitives will have swelled now then, Foley and Gilman, it is estimated, to twice their normal population. At this time, martial law prevails throughout the Chain of Lakes area and east into Aiken County. We take you now to St. Paul for a special broadcast on the regional emergency. The Secretary of the Interior. Citizens of the region, I shall not try to conceal the gravity of the situation that confronts the countryside, nor the concern of your government in protecting the lives and property of its people. However, I wish to impress upon you, private citizens and public officials, all of you, the urgent need of calm and resourceful action. Fortunately, this formidable enemy is still confined to a comparatively small area, and we may place our faith in the military forces and angling and culinary professionals to keep them there. In the meantime, placing our faith in God and oversized Rapalas, we must continue the performance of our duties, each and every one of us, so that we may confront this destructive adversary with the homeland united. 
courageous, and consecrated to the preservation of human supremacy in the Upper Midwest. I thank you. You have just heard the Secretary of the Interior speaking from St. Paul. Bulletins too numerous to read are piling up in the studio here. We are informed the central third of Minnesota is blacked out from general communication due to the effect of the fish creatures upon power lines and electrical equipment. The continual leaping of the huge fishes is making many international experts to wonder at possible connections with leaping carp. At present, the plight of the Midwest is attracting national and international attention. Here is a special bulletin from New York. Cables received from English, French, German scientific bodies offering assistance. Limnologists and ichthyologists report continued geyser-like outbursts at regular intervals across the upper Midwest. Majority voice opinions that these monsters will be reinforced by additional types of giant fish. Attempts made to locate Professor Anderson of the Twin Cities campus, who has observed these dogfish at close range. It is feared he was lost in the recent battle. Brainerd Lakes Regional Airfield, Minnesota. Scouting planes report three giant bowfins visible leaping above treetops, moving west towards Motley with population fleeing ahead of them. Advancing at express train speed, giants pick their way carefully. They seem to be making conscious effort to avoid being out of lakes or rivers for long periods of time. However, they stop to raid bait shops and livestock pens at every opportunity. Their apparent objective is to crush resistance, paralyze communication, and disorganize human society. Here is another bulletin from Pequot Lakes, Minnesota. Bass fishermen have crept up on another massive fish similar to the first that burst out of the waters at Gull Lake. It is feared this giant is a northern pike. Army field pieces are proceeding from Ripley to blow up the second massive fish before further damage is done. They are taking up positions in the Aspen stands along Highway 168. Another bulletin from Duluth International Airport, Duluth, Minnesota. Scouting planes report small schools of giant fish, now three in number, increasing speed northward, knocking over houses and trees in their evident haste to move across the countryside while not being too far from deep water. Giant fish is also sighted by telephone operator east of Taft within 10 miles of Fredenburg. Here's a bulletin from Chippewa Valley Regional Field, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Fleet of mid-sized aircraft carrying anglers armed with anti-tank rifles has left Eau Claire. Aircraft flying north in pursuit of the enemy. Scouting planes act as guides. They keep speeding enemy in sight. Just a moment, please. Ladies and gentlemen, we've run special wires to the artillery line in adjacent villages to give you direct reports in the zone of the advancing enemy. First, we take you to the battery of the 22nd Field Artillery, located in the Aspen Groves along Highway 168. Range, 32 meters. 32 meters. Projection, 39 degrees. 39 degrees. Fire! 140 yards to the right, sir. Shift range. 31 meters. 31 meters. Projection, 37 degrees. 37 degrees. Fire. A hit, sir. We've got the lead bowfin right in the jaws. They've stopped. The others are trying to figure out what to do next. Quick, get the range. Shift 30 meters. 30 meters. Projection, 27 degrees. 27 degrees. Fire. Can't see the shell land, sir. They're heading for water. We're about to lose them. What is it? Obvious leaps towards the lake, sir. Moving towards midwater. Jumping closer to the ground level now. They're moving fast. Put on infrared goggles. Get ready to fire. Shift 24 meters. Fish seem to be emitting some type of fish oil. It's clawing. Getting stronger. Harder to breathe and my eyes are watering. Men lose the goggles. Put on your gas masks. Putting on gas masks. 24 meters. Projection 24 degrees. 24 degrees. Fire. Can't see, sir. The fish oil's coming near. Get the range. 
23 meters. <coughs> 23 meters. 23 meters. <coughs> Projection 22 degrees. <coughs> 22 degrees. <coughs> Pursuing plane VA-43, off-island lake, northern Minnesota, Lieutenant Boat, commanding 8th aircraft. Reporting to Commander Fairfax, CVRA Eau Claire. This is Boat, reporting to Commander Fairfax. Enemy giant fish is now in sight, reinforced by three fish from the Niswa area, six altogether. One fish already crippled, believed hit by a shell from Army gun off Highway 168. Guns now appear silent. Heavy oily clouds hanging close to the earth. Extreme density, nature unknown. Seagulls, bald eagles, and ospreys appear to be flocking in the area. Enemy now turns east, crossing Mayo Creek into Sibley Lake. Another leaps over 371. Evident objective is Lower Cullen Lake. Crashing down onto high tension power station. Well, both fins are close together now and we're ready to attack. Planes circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards and we'll be over the first. Eight hundred yards, six hundred, four hundred, two hundred. There they go. The giant head raised. Green scales. They're horrible to look at. Two hundred feet over that ugly mug. Good Lord, they've leapt up and damaged our wings. No chance to fire with the anti-tank guns. Only one thing left. Drop on them, plain and all. We're diving on the first one. Now the engine's gone. Eight. This is Hermantown, Minnesota. Hermantown, Minnesota calling Duluth International. This is Hermantown calling Duluth Airfield. Come in, please. This is Tower at DLH. Go ahead. Eight interdiction aircraft in engagement with enemy rough fish over Pequot area. Wings and fuselages incapacitated by collisions. All crashed. One giant fish hit in the jaws. Enemy now discharging heavy fish oil clouds in direction of... This is Barnum, Minnesota. This is Barnum, Minnesota. Warning. Noxious gray fog pouring in from surrounding lakes area. Reaches Erickson Road. Gas masks useless. Urge population to move into open spaces. Automobiles use routes 13, 31, 138. Avoid congested areas. Fish oil fog now spreading over Carlton Street. 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling 8X3R. Come in, please. This is 8X3R coming back at 2X2L. How's reception? How's reception? K. Where are you, 8X3R? What is the matter? Where are you? I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building, Duluth. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as the fishy giants approach. Estimated in the last two hours, 50,000 people have moved out along the roads to the north. East Superior Street still kept open to motor traffic. Avoid bridges to Superior. Hopelessly jammed. All communication with Wisconsin Shore closed ten minutes ago. No more defenses. 
Our army moved out. Artillery, Air Force, everything moved out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. People are holding service below us in the cathedral. Now I look down the harbor. All manner of boats, overloaded with fleeing population, pulling out from docks. Streets are all jammed. Noise and crowds like New Year's Eve in the city. Wait a minute. Enemy now in sight above the tree line. Five, five great dogfish. First one is leaping from water to water. I can see it from here, breaching the streams and lakes like a giant gymnast on a trampoline. Bulletins handed me. Gargantuan fish are leaping all over the country. One outside Ironton. One in St. Cloud, Rochester. Seem to be timed and spaced. Now the first dogfish reaches the shore. It continually leaps, looking over the city. His massive green head is even with the convention center. He waits for the others. They flip like a new line of new acrobats, dwarfing the cowering masses near Canal Park. Now they're leaping out of Superior. This is the end now. Clouds of grayish fish oil creeping out. Thin gray clouds crawling over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running towards the inner city. Thousands of them running like the marathon is on. Now the fog's spreading faster. It's reached West First Street. People trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They're falling down like tired mayflies. Now the smoke's crossing North Second Avenue. North Lake Avenue. One hundred yards away. Fifty feet. X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone? 2X2L. You are listening to a CCN presentation of Fudd Klugman, Bjorn Lloydstad, and the Cabin Country Theater on the Air in an original dramatization of The War of the Bowfins by G.H. Wellcamp. The performance will continue after a brief intermission. This is the Cabin Country Broadcasting System. As I set down these notes on paper, I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living man on Earth. I've been hiding in this empty house near Pillager, a small island of daylight cut off by the gray fog from the rest of the world. All that happened before the arrival of these monstrous creatures in the world now seems part of another life. A life that has no continuity with the present. Furtive existence of the lonely derelict who pencils these words on the back of some hydrological notes bearing the signature of Herbert Anderson. I look down at my blackened hands, my torn shoes, my tattered clothes. 
and I try to connect them with a professor who lives in St. Paul, who on the night of October 30th glimpsed across his flat screen display at a geyser-like splash of water on a distant lake surface. My wife, my colleagues, my students, my books, my fish tanks, my... my world. Where are they? Did they ever exist? Am I Herbert Anderson? What day is it? Do days exist without calendars? Does time pass when there are no human hands left to wind the clocks? In writing down my daily life, I tell myself I should preserve human history between the dark covers of this little book that was meant to record the movements of the waters. But to write I must live, and to live I must eat. I find moldy bread in the kitchen, an orange not too spoiled to swallow. I keep watch at the window. From time to time I catch sight of a giant fish leaping above the treetops. The oil still holds the house in its fishy coils. But at length there is a northerly breeze, and suddenly I see a massive eel pout, a newcomer to this cavalcade, seeming to spray the air with what looks like a mist of fish slime, as if a possible side effect of the mutation. I watch in a corner and postulate as huge fins nearly flatten the house. Exhausted by terror, I fall asleep. It's morning. Morning. Sun streams in through the window. The thin gray mist of foul gas is lifted and the meadows to the north look as though they've been heavily fertilized. Verdant, thick, odd. I venture from the house. I make my way to a road. No traffic. Here and there a wrecked car, baggage overturned, a pool of slime. I push on north. For some reason I feel safer trailing these monsters than running away from them. And I keep a careful watch. I have seen these mutated fish feed. Should one of their shadows appear over the tops of the trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the earth. I come to an oak tree. White oak acorns, I recall, as being edible. One more positive from Yule Gibbons. I fill my pockets. I must keep alive. Two days I wander in a vague northerly direction through the desolate world. Finally, I notice a visible creature. A small red squirrel in a beech tree. I stare at him and wonder. He stares back at me. I believe at that moment the animal and I shared the same emotion. The joy of finding another courageous being. I push on north. I find flattened and semi-eaten cows in a brackish field. Beyond the pulverized ruins of a dairy, the silo remains standing guard over the wasteland like a lighthouse deserted by the sea. Astride the silo perches a weathercock. The arrow points north. Next day I come to a city, vaguely familiar in its contours, yet its buildings strangely dwarfed and leveled off, as if a giant hand had sliced off its highest towers with a capricious sweep of its hand. I reach the outskirts. I found Brainerd. Undemolished, but humbled by some whim of the advancing giants. Presently, with an odd feeling of being watched, I caught sight of something crouching in a doorway. I made a step towards it, and it rose up. Rose up and became a man. A man armed with a large fillet knife. Stop. Where did you come from? I come from many places. A long time ago from the St. Paul campus. More recently from Baxter. Baxter, huh? That near Pequot Lakes? Yes. Pequot Lakes. <laughs> There's no food here. This is my country. All this end of town down the river. Only food for one. Which way are you going? I, I don't know. I... I guess I'm looking for 
For people. What was that? Did you hear something just then? Only a bird. A non-predatory bird. You get to know that birds have shadows these days. Say, we're in the open here. Let's crawl into this doorway and talk. Have you seen any... any dogfish or eel pout? Nah. They've gone over to Duluth. At sunrise and dusk, the sky is alive with their leaping. Just as if people were still living in it. By daylight, you can't see them. I heard that five days ago, a couple of them carried something big across the piers from the harbor. I believe they're learning how to commercially fish. Commercially fish? Yeah, fish. Turn the tables. Fish for people. Well, then it's all over with humanity. Stranger, there's still you and I. Two of us left. Well, they got themselves in solid. They wrecked the greatest region in the world. Those green giants, they're probably leaping somewhere every night. They've only lost one of their school. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. Where were you? You're in uniform. Yeah, what's left of it? I was in the militia, National Guard. Ah, that's good. Was in any war any more than there's war between men and minnows, fatheads or chubs. We're shiners to those giants. And we're eatable baits. I found that out. What will they do with us? I've thought it all out. Right now we're caught as we're wanted. Did you say eel pout? Now there's eel pout, too. Great. Those dogfish only have to go a few miles to get a crowd on the run. But they won't keep doing that. They'll begin catching us systematically. Keeping the best and storing us in cages and things. They haven't begun on us yet. Not begun? Not begun. All that's happened so far is because we don't have the sense enough to keep quiet. Bothering them with... Massive treble hooks and nets and such stuff, and losing our heads and rushing off in crowds. Now, instead of our rushing around blind, we got to fix ourselves up. Fix ourselves up according to the way things are now. Cities, towns, lakes, areas, counties, done. But if that's so, what is there to live for? Well, there won't be any more walleye tournaments for a million years or so. No nice little fish boils on lake shores. If it's amusement you're after, I guess the game's up. What is there that's left? Life. That's what. I want to live. Yeah, and so do you. We're not going to be exterminated. And I don't mean to be caught either. And walloped and flattened and bred like an ox. What are you going to do? I'm going on. Right under their fins. I got a plan. We people, as anglers, are finished. We don't know enough we got to learn plenty before we've got a chance. And we've got to live and keep free while we learn, see? I've thought it all out, see? Tell me the rest. Well, it isn't all of us that were made for the wild bait fish. That's what it's got to be. That's why I watched you. All these little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They haven't any stuff in them. They just used to run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running wild to get on the highway in the morning for fear they'd get canned if they didn't, running back at night afraid they won't be in time for dinner, lives insured and a little invested in case of accidents, and on Sundays, worried about the hereafter. The dogfish will be a godsend for those guys. Nice, roomy live boxes, good food, careful breeding, no worries. After a week or so chasing about the fields on an empty stomach, they'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? You bet I have. 
That ain't all. These giants will make pets of some of them. Train them to breathe underwater. Who knows? Get sentimental over the pet boy who grew up and had to be killed. And some, maybe they'll train to hunt us. No, that's impossible. No human being... Yes, they will. There's men will do it gladly. If one of them ever comes after me, why... In the meantime, you and I and others like us, where are we to live when the giant fish own the earth? I've got it all figured out. We'll live underground. I've been thinking about the sewers. Under the bigger cities are miles and miles of them. The main ones are big enough for anybody. Then there's cellars, vaults, underground storerooms, railway tunnels, subways. You begin to see, eh? And we'll get a bunch of strong men together. No weak ones. That rubbish is out. And you meant me to go? Well, I gave you a chance, didn't I? We won't quarrel about that. Go on. And we've got to make safe places for us to stay in, see? And get all the books we can. Science and fishing books. That's where men like you come in, see? We'll raid the museums. We'll even dynamite fish for the giants. It may not be so much that we have to learn before... Just imagine this. Four or five of the biggest fishing boats we can find suddenly start off. Dynamite launchers right and left and... Not a landlubber in them. Not a one. But anglers. Anglers who have learned the way how. May even be in our time. Gee, imagine having one of them river barges with a knee boat pushing it with depth charges, dropping right and left. We'd troll cast giants. We'd troll cast for people. We'd set the hooks on everyone and bring everyone down to their knees. That's your plan? You and me and a few more of us, we'd own the world records across the board. We haven't even discussed taxidermy or the best fillet knives. I see. Say, what's the matter? Where are you going? Not to your world. Goodbye, stranger. After parting with the artillerymen, I came at last to the Brainerd city limits. I entered that city anxious to know the fate of the dive school and the triangle treat on the other side of the city. Cautiously, I came across the bridge and made my way along the ditches of Highway 3. I reached the laundry tub and the old bread outlet and there again were both fish oil aromas and several flattened bodies, an evil, ominous smell from the gratings of the cellars and some of the houses. I wandered up towards the bridge across the Mississippi and the old liquor store in the ball fields. I stood alone across from what used to be a potlatch factory. I caught sight of a lean dog running down three with a piece of pinkish flesh in its jaws and a pack of starving mongrels at his heels, seagulls circling overhead. He made a wide circle around me as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor. I walked up to where people would bridge fish in the direction of that strange odor, past silent old shops and houses, displaying their old deals on beer 12 packs to empty parking lots, past a now abandoned bait and tackle, silent, dark, where a row of unused rods and reels faced an arrested cash register. Near the Mississippi Dam, I noticed a flock of both black and white birds circling in the sky. I hurried on. Suddenly, I caught sight of the dorsal fin of a giant pout, rotting away on the damn spillway, gleaming in the late afternoon sun. An insane idea. I rushed recklessly across the bridge towards a dirt path down the spillway. From there I could see, lying on the damn slipway or floating in the river near it, seven of those great scaly giants, their eyes sightless, their great fins drifting listlessly by their sides. Suddenly my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of gulls, ravens, and bald eagles that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground, and there before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the fish, with the hungry birds pecking and tearing at shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. 
Later, when those bodies were examined in laboratories, it was found that they were killed by the putrefactive and diseased bacteria against which their mutated systems were unprepared. Slain, after all man's attempts at dynamite fishing had failed, by the humblest thing that God in his wisdom put upon this earth. Before the pout and dogfish mutated, there was a general persuasion that through all the depths of rivers and lakes, no giant life existed beyond the bases of Corps of Engineer dams. Now we see further. Dim and wonderful is the vision I have conjured up in my mind of giant game fish spreading slowly from this proud band of Midwest across the inanimate vastness of our great nation. But that's a remote dream. It may be that the destruction of these mutant fish is only a reprieve. To them, and not to us, is the future ordained, perhaps. Strange it now seems to sit in my peaceful study on the St. Paul campus, writing down this last chapter of the record begun at a deserted lake home near Gull Lake. Strange to see from my window the university spires dim and blue through the April haze. Strange to watch children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling on the green, where the new spring grass heals the last oily slicks of a rank earth. Strange to watch the sightseers enter the museum where the taxidermized giants are kept on public view. Strange to see the sightseers stopping for huge portions of suddenly available fish and chips on every street corner and food truck. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw them. Massive and agile, hard, leaping skyward, under the dawn of that last great day. This is Fudd Klugman, ladies and gentlemen, out of character to assure you that the War of the Bowfins has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Cabin Country Radio Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. Starting now, we couldn't soap all your bass boat windows and steal all your tackle boxes by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CCN. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it, and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, everybody, and remember the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, splashing, multi-finned invader of your live box is an eventual guest of your skillet and dining room table. And if your bobber disappears and nothing's on the hook, that was no mutant dogfish. It's opening weekend. Tonight, the Cabin Country Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations Coast to Coast have brought you The War of the Bowfins by G.H. Wellcap, the 17th in its weekly series of dramatic broadcasts featuring Fudd Klugman, Bjorn Lloydstad, and the Cabin Country Theater on the air. Next week, we present a dramatization of three famous short stories. This is the Cabin Country Broadcasting System. It's intermission time. Take it away! Get more out of life. We suggest you treat yourself to hot melted cigarettes. For a snack or a meal. Boy, does Junior go for them. And Sis likes them too. These melted cigarettes. Made even more exciting with smooth, rich chocolate coating. Yum, yum. Come and get them right now. They are hot 
They are delicious. We suggest you attend the church or synagogue right now for these mouth-watering, hot, melted cigarettes. The favorite of young and old alike for a snack or a meal. Hot, melted cigarettes. Plenty for everybody. Yours is waiting for you right now. Well, I got to admit, uh, Fudd, uh, it's good to be back in the Oakdale studios, but I, I can't help but already feel a little reminiscent about the fire ring at Gull River. You know, mornings, hot cup of coffee, start that fire, get the frost off, maybe have something we've cranked out in the toaster oven and a hot cup of joe, or evenings, of course, crackle of the fire, the whistle of the train, and just enjoying that fire ring. Good stuff. I miss it. I already miss it. Indeed. Well, you know, Bjorn, not everyone can tackle a large bait, good, chock full of wheat gluten. In the early morning hours. I can second that, without a doubt. In fact, Bjorn, I heard it from a smallish ruffed grouse out there that you yourself are gluten intolerant and stay away from all sorts of morning treats, is that right? I, uh, I, if I know what's good for me, I steer clear, but <laughs> I do for a fact, yeah. Well, have the good folks at Tante Maria's Bakery got good news for you, Bjorn. Oh, boy. Tante Maria is a wonderfully skilled baker who has taken on unfortunate dietary restrictions and worked her magic yet again. Oh, boy. Tante Maria feels that all of Gaia's children should have the right to a good-tasting muffin or cookie, even if wheat tends to treat them unkindly. <laughs> Tante Maria has tightened her apron and gotten back to work, launching a product line of gluten-free muffins and baked goods she's proud to call her own. And she's hoping you'll enjoy. Oh boy, indeed, yes. Our favorite gluten-free pastry chefs offer you Tante Maria's weird-ass hippie-style baked goods. No fooling. Honest to goodness, cookies and breakfast treats that will satisfy the taste buds without upsetting the stomach. We won't <laughs> give away Tante Maria's proprietary blend of gluten-free flours, Bjorn. But here are some of Tante Maria's newest GF muffin flavors. Twice as nice pumpkin spice. Autumn blush apple cinnamon. Ain't they grand raisin and bran. And my own personal favorite, Tante Maria's weird-ass hippie-style morning glory muffins. Weird ass? I'd call them delicious. Hippie style? Absolutely. If hippie style means moist and delicious, and you won't notice the lack of wheat flour. And let's not forget Tante Maria's line of GF cookies, too. Snickerdoodles. Chocolate chunk, both milk chocolate and white chocolate. Iced oatmeal raisin. Classic holiday sugar cookies. And with a nod to Maria's Nordic heritage, Almond Kronzakaka, and yes, she's offering Sandbockles again this year. Look for Tante Maria's baked goods in all your favorite spots this year. You'll be glad you did. Seriously, Bjorn, what goes better with a hot cup of whistling wood duck than a muffin or a cookie? You bet. Right, folks? Absolutely. Well, let's get back to the show. You bet. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to Cabin Country. Kind of a second welcoming again. I'm Bjorn Lloydstad. I'm Fudd Klugman. Kind of a fun piece there, Fudd, from uh, oh yes, Cabin Country Broadcasting Network. A, a retelling of G.H. Wellcap's War of the Bowfins. <laughs> yes, that's a that's a classic. Fabulous, fabulous adaptation of the original by H.G. Wells. And, uh, so fun to listen to. Oh man, good clean radio fun. next to the fire. You bet. Inspires you to. Enjoy other radio broadcasts. Oh yeah, I know. I know the Wells piece with uh, 
Orson and HG was something that lured us both into our, our love of old radio shows. Absolutely. It was Absolutely. a great a great homage from wherever it came. Don, did you get the... Uh, where did that come from exactly? Don? All right. Well, okay. Thanks, thanks Don. Don. Uh, appreciate it. Any calls? Any comp- fearful people worried about... The board's lighting up back there, Don. Not at this point. Fair enough. Oh, Thank good. you, Don. Well, it's good to know people took it... That's with good. The grain of salt that they should. It's uh, the idea of a giant dogfish, just a little bit. I, I want to say that uh, yeah. somewhere in my reading of Orson Welles's uh, biography, that uh, after that broadcast, and of course there's lots of rumors and reports of the panic, of course that was right, right, was nationwide, I guess. But uh, I believe it was actually in Minnesota somewhere. Oh yeah, where there one suicide. Oh my! Because of good rights, gracious, and uh, and I think the man pursued Orson Welles sometime. Wow. Okay. You know what you did to my wife. <laughs> but yeah, so there you go. It's wow. Another... Crazy stuff. Well, <laughs> glad people have kept their, their, their smiles cool on their faces, kept their bofin. cool, enjoyed enjoyed yes. the giant bofin and eel pout invasion. Sounded like we even one big northern pike, perhaps. Oh, before the artillery opened up. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, we've got here to kind of bring things back to even keel, if you will, a, a bit of a sidebar story here from our good friends at uh, Cooking with the Parents. And this is yes. not so much a GSPN offering, but uh, something, and, and you've got it in front of you there, Fudd. This is from the Alaska... Yeah, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, Sport Fish Division. The Sport Fish Division. Of... Burbot recipes. Burbot recipes. Eel pout. Give us the intro here, Fudd, if you would. What, what do they say about cooking up? Well, they say that few, few people know that a member of the codfish family lives in many of the freshwaters of Alaska. And Minnesota. And Minnesota. At, you know, Walker, you know. Oh, yeah. Every, Eel pout every festival. Better believe it. Well, this little known fish, the burbot, has, uh, or burbot, I don't know which way to pronounce burbot. it. Burbot? Has several other locally used names such as Lingcod, Lawyer, or Lush. Lush. I caught a Lush. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Burbot are not generally utilized because of its somewhat unattractive appearance and lack of know how in preparing for the table. In general appearance and in the flavor and texture of its flesh, the Burbot resembles the better known codfish that is taken. From the ocean waters off the New England coast. The Alaskan burbot has firm, white, flaky flesh that is mild flavored, low in oil, and surprisingly free from bones. My goodness. It is therefore relished by those who desire a high protein food that is low in fats. Wow, this sounds like just the ticket. I may need to start eating more burbot. (laughs) When the fisherman of the house returns with a catch of burbot, they can be prepared in many appetizing recipes. Its large liver, which is seldom used because of lack of knowledge, contains a large amount of an easily digested oil that is rich in vitamins A and D. If you can choke it down. (laughs) (laughs) Keep all this in mind when you're trying to eat it. The following, well, we've got some recipes here. Got a few offerings here from our good friends in uh, the 49th state. And... uh, well, Fudd, you know, these could have made uh, many episodes of uh, Cooking with the Parents, but let's just we'll start it off here. They talk about some top-of-the-stove recipes, deep-fried bourbon. Deep-fried. Fried pout, boiled, simmer that pout. Uh, you can steam it 
or the Creole version of eel and, pout. And what's that? The seasoning? Well, a little bit of seasonings: onions, celery, butter, a little, gr- a little bell pepper, the, the holy trinity of Creole cooking. And uh, you bet. You bet. And then even more fun to be had. Now, there's to- top of the stove recipe here. Your fun. Eel pout hash. <laughs> eel pout mm. hash. Delicious. And I, I, my dad would be hearing this and saying, that's what you get when you beat the thing on the side of the boat. You pretty much <laughs> have a tail in your hand and a yeah. couple of pounds of hash mangling out front. And here come the gulls, indeed. <laughs> Creamed burbot and vegetables. Oh, boy. Wow. Sounds like something out of a... Creamed. I don't know. About Better that. Homes and Gardens, 1952. <laughs> Some oven recipes here, Fudd, for the, the mighty pout. Broiled fillets of burbot. A burbot souffle. Souffle. Watch it rise above the ramekins. Stuffed <laughs> tomatoes filled with creamed burbots. Uh, Burbot salad sandwich. Dope. Deviled ham. Maybe you could turn that into a frosted sandwich loaf. Plenty of pout. <laughs> all the mayonnaise. Maybe fuddle start foaming at the oh mouth boy. over there. And we think back to good old Lloyd choking on his words with <laughs> right. the sandwich loaf. Uh, the molded jello burbot salad. Of wow. course, we had to get jello in there. Got to get jello in there. And ideally, some mayo and peas and celery. <laughs> I don't know who Dorothy is, but Dorothy's making a Dorothy's pout casserole. Plenty of flour, steamed bourbon, butter, lemon juice, parsley, little cayenne pepper. Oh, that's the... The bourbon roll with cheese sauce. You know, Velveeta (laughs) by the jar or loaf will melt down for grand Lenten dishes. And again, right out of the... the, Next in line here. Sorry, Don. Edit me, would you please? Bourbon loaf. Bourbon loaf. Bourbon loaf. Indeed. When you're sick of meatloaf, try bourbon loaf. Try bourbon. Plenty of mayo and tomato catsup. And I kid you not, folks, it says catsup here. Does it? I don't know what catsup is. What is catsup? I've had ketchup. Yeah. Catsups. Don, roll that fighting uh, word. Peace on ketchup. Don't forget the ketchup, you. The stuffed bourbon roll. With a good lighter and proper inhalation, you can get a good ash cone going on that. Deviled (laughs) eel pout. Deviled eel pout. Was that with egg yolks? I think so. I think so. Fill those half eggs with creamed eel pout and mayo and mustard. The burbot potato salad. (laughs) Nothing adds to... I don't know if that's traditional with the mayo or the hot German. Hot German pout. Spud salad. Broiled, broiled burbot sandwich. Dave Parker's Upper Tanana Lobster. Parentheses, burbot. That is. <laughs> and then lastly, Pittman's Poor Man's Burbot. Wow. Poor can, Man's can, Burbot. Can double. And, well, <laughs> I hate to see what a wealthy man's yeah. burbot is all about. So lots of fascinating recipes here from our good friends in, at the Alaska Department of Fish and Game Sport Fish Division. Don't throw that burbot back. Don't beat it to death on the right. side of the boat. It's, 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 it's a cod. It's not a rough fish. Not so, like the dogfish that were leaping above the treetops. Right. Even with the uh, the Brainerd. Or I, what was it, Brainerd? Was it Duluth? It was flipping all over. All they were over even the with central the part of the state. convention center roof. It's unbelievable. Oh, my yeah. gosh. With that, uh, that fish oil that was... Fish oil making people... Filling the lungs. Sick to the their poor. stomachs and running the marathon. Yes, indeed. Crazy stuff. Well, Wild it sounds stuff. like uh, we should recommend that... If uh, if you're missing crowds of people after the recent times and want to go elbow to elbow with a lot of people, uh, 
you know, stumbling around on the ice in Walker, Minnesota. You bet. You bet. I you can uh, bowl with frozen frozen eel pouts. Eel pout, and, and then pins are but pout pins and pout bowling balls and yes, and good clean fun. There's dance parties and eel pout festival officiating. I'm sure there's people deep frying the pout. Oh yes, pout sandwiches. Of course, the tradition is that you've got to kiss a live pout, right? Kiss the pout. Kiss, kiss it before pout. you put it in the freezer and, and, right. and get it ready for one of these and marvelous recipes. Wondering if some of the folks up there would crank out a molded eel pout salad for us. I, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> might not do real well in the cold weather. Perhaps we should we should contact the organizers of that event Maybe and so. say, do you offer any of these, uh, any, any of your local restaurants offering molded... Burbot Jello Jell-O. salad, or yes. deviled burbot on the half on the half egg. German potato. They probably say, you know, you burbot. want to come to this thing or don't you? Just shut your yap and <laughs> show up, you big idiot. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can say this much from several friends who've attended the Pout Festival. It's a big deal. It's a city on the lake. Yeah. And they wow. make it's a, it's a wild time. I'm told. So hats off to our Eel Pout Festival organizers and. Uh, and, and purveyors, you know, those enjoy it. And, uh, well, we got some recipes here for you. That's right. No need to just let them freeze solid and, and go bowling with them. You can certainly you can, uh, phone in or email in and uh, creamed, eat creamed, any of these wonderful. Creamed eel pout with vegetables. Oh, boy. Or a nice oven hot barbecue sauce slathered eel pout loaf. Wow. <laughs> loaf. One of those words that makes some people shiver in their boots. So. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we're going to have to. Uh, all right, if, if, if anybody's out there that wants to uh, send a Bjorn and Fudd here at Cabin Country, an eel pout, you know. Recipe? Recipe. Photos, or a, Something made. Like, if you want to send us your own hot dish, you know, you we'll, we'll eat it on the air. Tater tot and pout. And we'll, maybe we'll have a marathon recording and just see how it affects <laughs> us over well, I think, I think a period of three hours. Post-pandemic days, we can't actually eat anything you've sent through the mail, but please send us pictures oh, yeah. of yourself. Well, there you go. Enjoying <laughs> a great forkful of yes. creamed pout from tomato halves or whatever and and frankly don given the great production you've been doing tonight you might be getting a pout loaf for your next birthday you never can tell (laughs) don't say we never gave you anything anyway thanks to the alaska department of fish and game uh, yes indeed you'll pout fun well we hope you enjoyed that uh, fabulous fabulous broadcast the war of the dogfish i'm i'm a little shaken here hearing that it's uh, yeah wondering about jumping off the dock into the gull i don't know if not sure about safe i don't know i mean jack the ripper is one thing Snapping turtle, giant bowfin. I don't know about that. When you had heard some things about dogfish, fud, I thought I heard that they they actually helpful. They they uh, denizen of the deep. I don't know if they feed on or attack carp. You know, okay, invasive Asian flipping flipping carp, those silver sided guys. They're the they're perhaps another unsung hero of the deep. Slap you in the mush when you fire up the engine. Your yeah. giant giant bowfin could take those out for you. So. <laughs> right. It'd be kind of cool. So, or maybe we should you know, start raising them as pets, you know, and well, you never know. You can just... But there you Lord go. knows where that could go. Yeah. They mm. seem so calm. Right. And yet there they wait. There they wait. Are you asleep yet? For... <laughs> I think you might be. My well, goodness. Anyway. dreams, everyone. Indeed. Thanks for sticking with us. Absolutely. Thank you much. Enjoying the production with us. We'll hear you again soon.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365 day returns.